Welcome to the show. Great to be with you, Paul George. Deacon Bear. Hey, hey, hey. In studio. Wonderful to be with you guys today. Thanks for listening in on the radio or on the podcast, wherever you are. Um, Excited. Man, uh, I got to tell you, Adam, Mm -hmm. we have a listener that is mad. Uh Uh-oh. Yep. I mean, it's not the first time, but let's hear what happened. Yeah, we got some some negative feedback. Oh, my gosh. We got someone who uh, has a um, vendetta against you. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Yes. Also not the first time, but let's hear it. It's my mother. Oh, my word. Yeah. Uh, I was actually in Atlanta this week. Um, they are leading a, a staff retreat uh, for a wonderful organization called Life Teen mm-hmm. uh, International great staff and yeah it was wonderful anyway i got to spend some time grabbing lunch with my mom and sister who live, nice. live in georgia yeah mm. my mom said hey i got some feedback for you oh boy i'm pretty upset with deacon bear oh my goodness yep and she did not find it funny adam that the weird catholic stuff last week you talked about um bartholomew right yeah yeah, who yeah. is the patron saint of like flaying and butchers. Butchers, leather makers, yeah. stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. She was grossed out by that. Wow. And I said, that's the point. Yeah. The yeah. whole point of that whole segment is to kind of gross you out. <laughs> <laughs> gross you out for Jesus. Yeah. So I yeah, I made a promise that I'd tell her, tell you about her being upset with you. I appreciate it. Well, listen, um, can I just call her mom? Yeah. Okay, sure. Listen, mom. She would love that. I am, um, I'm sorry. <laughs> Your son gave me a job to do on this show. I got one job. Come up with a weird Catholic thing. That was pretty weird. And I loved it. And Yeah. Yeah. But I, I totally see your point. Yeah. It's point weird. taking. It was gross. Absolutely. I can't say today's gonna be any better, unfortunately. No, we can't make any promises. But uh I am sorry. Yeah. Okay, so but please forgive me. Yeah, absolutely. So thanks everyone for listening in. We got that out of the way. Uh, other than that, it's been mostly positive, you know, feedback. <laughs> yeah. Mostly positive feedback. Yeah. We should put that on the website for the show. Yeah. Mostly positive feedback. Yeah. Maybe I should start a segment questions from my mom. That'd be awesome. Or our mom now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um however the show has a mom. Yeah, this show does definitely have has a mom. Mm-hmm. Um I uh, we have a segment that we've been doing, and you're going to be surprised today um, with our hot box segment. Hot, 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 hot box. Yeah. So here's our hot box segment. Now, you know, I'm I'm actually going to film this on my phone because you're going to be so surprised. Wow. So we have a brown box. Looks like you know something would get shipped to your house, but you have no idea what's in it. I don't. But before the show started, you were talking it up pretty big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so you're going to have to open it up and see what's in there. It's a bag with things in it. A bag that smells great. Box. Okay. It smells great. Mm. You can't guess. You got to open it. Okay. And then what's the bag look like? It looks like the perfect thing for delicious, greasy food. Oh, that's like what it looks like. A brown paper bag. Right. Brown paper bag with a little bit of grease on it. That was inside the box. Yeah. Okay. Brown paper bag got a little grease. I can hear it. I can hear you unwrapping it. Yes. Ooh. That looks good. You did not. What is, is this it? what I think it is? We'll keep opening it. Well, it says, yes, Billy's Chicken Cracklins. Billy's Chicken Cracklins. We were talking about it last our, week. Our new sponsor to the show. They just don't know it yet. Paul. Look at you. I don't know what to say. 
This is uh, this is next level, man. Okay, so you gotta. Um, Should I eat one? Yeah, you got definitely got to eat one. Like this. Okay, these are chicken. The famous chicken cracklings that we talked about last week. Imagine this if, was in the hot box. Yeah. Everybody knows about chicken nuggets. Imagine if chicken nuggets got like five times better. Mm-hmm. And that's what this is. This is like Bartholomew being flayed, but chickens. And then you eat the skin. It's fried. How good is this? It's very good. Yes. Paul. Yeah. Is it like Jesus and then next is chicken cracklings? Listen, when it comes to earthly pleasures, yeah. this is pretty up there. It's, it's high. on mm-hmm. yeah. Things that bring you joy on earth Yeah. versus heavenly ones. Right. So By anyway. the way, if Jesus was in town, and he was like from Jerusalem, right? So he's not from around here. Right. And I wanted to show him around and like make sure he had a good time. He came to South Louisiana. This would be on the list. Chicken cracklings. This would be on the list. Billy's Boot Amp. You want one, We Paul? should get a sponsor. Yeah, you, you talk for a second while I take a bite of these. So tell us about it. I mean, it's basically fried chicken fat with uh, a little bit of meat, just a little bit of meat mm. to where it gives it substance, you know? Mm-hmm. Because you don't want just pure fat. Mm. But, wow. Seasoned to perfection, too. Yeah. Yeah. This reminds me of, like, the consolation of the spiritual life. Yeah. There's just certain things that bring you consolation in the spiritual life. Like, unbelievable. The Eucharist. Yeah. Confession. It's like immediate consolation in the midst of, like, a bad day. Yeah, this is the food version of like those first few minutes you get into the adoration chapel where you're just able to <sighs> Yeah. You know? Yeah. This is the food version of that. So is this the best hot box segment we've had? No. Yeah. By far. Like I don't even know what I'm gonna do next week. You're not. When it's my turn. I tell you what, the bird book you gave me last week is actually sitting on our coffee table. No kidding. My life my wife is looking through the bird book. For real? Yeah, it's it's a beautiful encyclopedia actually of birds. Yeah, yeah. It was nice. Yeah. I like I looked So it. it wasn't like a you know I guess the only way I could top this is if I bring you a live chicken in a box. Yeah. Hmm. Would you appreciate that? No. Okay. <laughs> I would bring it to Billy's. <laughs> can and, you crackling this? And can and ask him to crackling. Can cra- you crackling this? Crackling. Crackling that chicken. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that was good. That was really good. I'm really impressed with you, Paul. Yeah. All right. So do you have a have you seen? I do. What did you say? That is so interesting. Oh, for real though? So usually our have you scenes are things you probably haven't seen, which is part of the fun. But this one, just we just got to talk about, you've probably seen it. Okay. And so is a lot of people. But it's something to talk about. Have you seen this uh, TikTok trend that the young people are doing where you crack an egg on your child's head? I actually have seen that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so... Here's the idea. Like I just guess. randomly, like you're you're pretending like or you are baking in the kitchen. Yeah, like come you, help me out. Come help me out. And then to crack the egg, you just slam it against your kid's forehead. Yeah. And the few videos I've seen, the kids didn't like it. Mm. Like they just start crying. Yeah. Like mommy or daddy hit me in the head. Right. Which, now, I, which I th- would think is hysterical. Yeah. Well, uh, so medical experts around the country are starting to discourage this trend Mm. Mm -hmm. bad parenting yes a few reasons one would be the raw egg that Uh, goes on the head okay Mm -hmm. like we don't want salmonella on our kid's head even for a little while okay also bruising of the head which apparently has happened so we've had people show up in hospitals um and 
this was why they well, ended you up there. Crack an egg with barely hitting it on something. So like it would have to be like someone's like slammed it really hard on accident because it mm-hmm. takes nothing to crack an egg. Unless you don't crack many eggs, which is, I think what a lot of parents are doing that aren't cooks or they don't actually use it. So eggs. they're just like smashing it, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so they're going uh, to um, to the hospital over this. Um, yeah. And then, I mean, this article doesn't even bring up the emotional damage. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the, the wounds, <laughs> the trauma. I did see some videos where they, then the kid cracks a head on the parent's head yeah and then it like becomes a fun thing well here's the most trauma if you listen to this which is like you gotta like pop out of it like you know it used to be like you could play some jokes and some practical jokes on each other if they didn't mm-hmm. get out of hand you kind of laugh and have fun now they're recorded and put on the internet that's true okay so like the trauma is not really the fact that you cracked an egg on your kid's head the trauma is that you actually put that on the internet without their permission for the world to see mm-hmm. and it's out there forever forever you know, so like now you have like a generation of adults who are younger than me, who are parents now, who grew up with the internet and social media, right? Um, and still have yet to think out the fact that whatever you put online is out there forever. Mm-hmm. As you hand me another chicken crackling, which is amazing. <laughs> Delicious. They're kind of addictive. Uh-huh. I mean, like, I, I'm suggesting that Billy's Boudin sponsors us. It's a good suggestion. Um, so anyway. Well, and I, I know you work with young people still today, but mainly in a coaching capacity. I mean, you still speak at youth conferences, but you've done a lot a of coaching. Bit. And this must be totally different where your life was on display. I mean, from when you were a little baby, mm-hmm. your parents were posting stuff on Facebook or whatever about you did this, you did that. Right. And uh, that must have an effect on, I don't know, self-image your 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 own perception of your parents or about life or about and then I, I particularly concerned about young people where they not that this is wrong to do, this is not a judgmental thing to say, but it concerns me how much posting gets done about spiritual things mm-hmm. which typically were very secret or like not broadcasted. You know, like I visited this place or I did that or I'm doing you know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. Have you seen this working with young people? Yeah, and, and I'll you know I know I know more working with people who work with young people. No, I have my mm. own teenagers, and you know, so right. like I'm in, you know, you know, forming teenagers in, in my own house, right? Which you, now you're starting to, mm-hmm. to do, but the, you know, it, it's just interesting because there is a generation of parents now who are have grown up online, which I didn't, you know, and and you know, so it wasn't. It's not really a big deal. My my kids didn't grow up online with me posting pictures of them and and everything, but now like embarrassing things. I mean, things that will look back on a parent and be like, I can't believe I posted that with my kid or a video about them doing that. And mm-hmm. they're going to grow up in a sense that that's going to be some, some like things to work through their whole life. And like, you got to think out the whole picture before you do things, you know? And, and, and this is, this is the whole point. Like it's even, you know, in part tied into the gospel this Sunday where Jesus actually looks at the disciples and says, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Question mark. In a sense of like, I want you to think this out. Okay? Like I want you to think out like who who do people say that I am? And I and I want I want you to think out the answer. I want you to kind of ponder it and, and put some logic to it and put your mind and heart into into the full, you know, sort of rhythm and and answer to this very important question. And I think oftentimes in our lives, whether it be parenting or 
in situations in our lives, we don't really think out the whole picture, the end goal, and we, and we don't invite the Lord into that. God, like, what, what am I doing and where do I want to go, right? Mm-hmm. So Jesus is posing this question of a bigger picture with an answer in it. Who do people say that I am? And because he's getting to them of like, well, then who do you say that? Who do you specifically say that I am, right? Like, and I don't want you just rattling off something. I want to know really. I want to know what you've really thought about, what you really are thinking in your mind and in your heart, all right? So obviously if you're a parent slamming an egg on your kid's head and it's like, oh, we do practical jokes and it's kind of funny, that's one thing. <laughs> you know, um, put it on the internet, I, I just think it's crazy, mm. you know? I, I mean, I, I just think, like, the embarrassment of doing that is just silly to me. Like, I just don't get it. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of things I don't get. Yeah, that's true. I, I do get the crackling thing. You're sure. addicted. Gosh, they, these things stop. are literally... Um, they're I like crackling. They really are. Like It's in the name. Yeah. No. Um, man, you bring up a great point with the gospel. And, and this is the scandal of the incarnation, the scandal of Jesus, is that the big, big, big God... You can't get bigger picture than God, mm-hmm. right? Like right. his his will, who he is, has become a human man, has become one like he is a personal God. And so the big picture has become in a sense a small picture in that there's only one way, there's only one way to the Father, there's only one uh savior who is Jesus Christ. And the big picture of our life really comes down to a very small question. Do we know who Jesus is? Right. That really is the big picture of our life. Yeah. Because if we do, we live life a certain way, yeah. which is with Jesus. Right. We follow him. If we don't know who he is, our life becomes so complicated because it's it, it simplifies our life to know who Jesus is because our big picture is him. Right. All right? He is the big picture. Right. Yeah. It's interesting. No, it is. Okay, let's uh, take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Healthcare that works better and costs less? Seems like an oxymoron, right? Take a minute and check out our sponsor, Solidarity HealthShare. Members say that faith-based health sharing is a much better fit than insurance, all while costing less. Prices start at $384 a month for families. Call now to see how much you can save. 844 844- Three eight seven eight five three three. That's eight four four three eight seven eight five three three. Welcome back to the show. Great to be with you, Paul George, Deacon Adam Conk, the Bear, in studio, chomping on chicken cracklings. Yeah, we took a longer break than normal yeah. just now because <clears throat> those were in the hot box today. The surprise gift. Yep, yep, there they are. I don't even know what to say still. Sponsored by Billy's Boudin. They just don't know it yet. They, I mean, they're just unbelievable. Uh, so welcome to the show. Thanks for listening in on the radio or on the podcast, wherever you are. Uh, great to be with you. Um, lots of good stuff to talk about. The Gospel reading this Sunday. Um, read it. Um, it's it's one of the most epic Gospel readings. Jesus really kind of gives a, a wonderful pinpointed question to the disciples, which is, a question to us, right? Who who do you say that I am? I mean, this is the beautiful, this is the Christian life. There, there's a point in our life we all have to answer that question in a good way, right? Um, And I love this interaction that happens. Okay, so in the first segment, I did give you some feedback. We had an upset listener. 
uh, our mother. Sorry, Mom. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, uh, with that, I'm going to give you a chance to redeem yourself this week with our weird Catholic stuff. What? Yep. Patron of leather makers. People are mad at you. That's gross. Yep. I didn't make it up, people. I just report the weird. Weird Catholic stuff. I don't know if this is going to help the situation, Okay, actually. Okay, it's just going to snowball. It's going to make in it worse. In some ways, this could be worse. I kind of see it in your face, although I can't read your lips. I can see you smile with your eyes, Adam. Yep. Yeah, in some ways, this could be worse. Um, so this coming week, we have the Feast of the Martyrdom of St. John the Baptist. We do, actually. Mm. That is very true. Yep. Wednesday, but, right? Uh, it's Monday the 29th. Um, Monday's not 29th. Tuesday, it's Tuesday. We're Tuesday all the 29th, yes. There it is. So the Tuesday 29th. 29th. <clears throat> the martyrdom of John the Baptist. Yes. Which, as we remember from Scripture, he was beheaded. He was. Um, and, uh, well, here's the weird thing. Okay. <laughs> and, okay, so John the Baptist was regarded, and still is regarded as one of the highest saints. But for a long time... It was like Jesus, Mary, John the Baptist in, in the church's estimation. You can see this in ancient churches. Mm-hmm. The way we put like Jesus, Mary, and St. Joseph now, right. it was like Jesus, Mary, John the Baptist. Because gotcha. Jesus spoke so highly of John the Baptist, right. right? And he was such a central figure. So his body, his relics, are prized possession, okay? Well, the thing is, his head was separated from his body. And like any weird Catholic should do, mm-hmm. the goal would be, where's his head? Where is his head? I want to find his head. Because <laughs> this is what weird Catholics do. Absolutely. Okay. Where is that head? I want that head. Yeah. Well, there are four different churches that claim to have the head of St. John the Baptist. Really? So this is a weird Catholic thing, that if you wanted to visit the relic of the head of St. John the Baptist... You'd have to decide on this argument between four different churches in four different parts of the world that all claim to have it, mm-hmm. or you just make a pilgrimage to all four and assume one of them is actually right. Do they have pieces of the head? Like they? No, it's a it's a skull. Okay. In a reliquary. Now they can't all be the same. I mean, you know, like he didn't have four heads. No, he did not. The gospel does not report that he has four heads. Right. As far as we can tell from the account. So one of them has the right head, and three of them has the wrong or head. Or they all four have the wrong head. That's possible, too. That is very possible. So the churches are in Rome, Amiens, Munich, and Damascus. Hmm. So it's spread out pretty far. I'm going with Damascus. Yeah? That sounds about right? Yeah. That sounds pretty good. Well, like, for example, I'm looking at the picture of the one in uh, Rome and the one in... Uh, Amiens, I'm saying it wrong because it's but, and the one all of them they all have a pretty nice reliquary. So it's it's a skull. It's definitely someone's skull, and it's you know ornate around it, um, and made to look really nice. And uh, yeah, apparently we're just gonna do this till Jesus comes back. All four of them are gonna claim that they have the head of John the Baptist, and then when he comes back, we're gonna find out which one. Maybe they can, you know, do, you know. With technology today, maybe do some better research, like they have with the Shroud of Turin or, you know, the the cloth that wiped the face of Jesus or Veronica, you know, things like that. 
mm-hmm. whatever the case may be. Um, <clears throat> I think having a skull in general is sort of weird. Um, I don't know. It but, is weird. Yeah. Well, the one in Amiens is my pick, and here's why. They claim to have more than just his head. Okay. So they're like, look, we got his arm. We got his hand. Um, they put those on display. Yeah. So since he was beheaded, uh, what is he the patron saint of? <laughs> this is what we're going to get down to. You know? Well, um, not, you know, I can tell you butchers I, because right. who's who's the patron of butchers? St. Bartholomew. Yeah, that's right. Um, well, I can tell you he's not the patron saint of Baptists, which is some people think like St. John the Baptist was an actual Baptist. Oh, really? But, uh, he baptized, but he wasn't a Baptist. Yes. Um, but he is the patron saint of duh, 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 duh. there's a long list so I'm just trying to find it so I don't miss anything okay he is a patron against convulsions epilepsy convulsive children epileptics I don't know why mm-hmm. I don't remember okay. bird dealers uh, health spas oh because of the baptizing in the river really that's pretty good that's that's a nice ca- caveat there uh, printers tailors because he wore the his outfit was famous, I guess, which is also Bartholomew. They share that patronage. Okay. Um, baptism, that makes sense. French Canadians, sure, they mm-hmm. took him. Uh, Puerto Rico, there's there's a big old list. Yeah, there's a long list. You know, here's an interesting thing about Bartholomew, which we celebrated on August 24th, right, is that mm-hmm. uh, tradition holds that Bartholomew is also Nathaniel, mm-hmm. the disciple. Right, right, right. Well, it's the just a different name. Yeah. Different name. That yeah, Bartholomew yeah. might have been his last name, son right. of Ptolemy. Yeah, you know, Ptolemy. And so, uh, yeah, uh, it's used. Bartholomew is used in what, some of the Gospels, and Nathaniel, I think, is in John, uh, in the mm-hmm. Gospel of John. So the Synoptics Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, use Bartholomew, right? And so that's a we didn't mention that last week, but you know, so Nathaniel and Bartholomew are the same person. Mm-hmm. You know, which is kind of cool. You know, it's interesting this week. You mentioned John the Baptist, but in between the feast of John the Baptist, we celebrate two pretty cool saints as well this week. Um, speaking of moms, Saint Monica, like the mom, yeah, yeah. well, other than the Blessed Virgin, Mary. yeah, like Saint like Monica is saint. one of the most famous women saints who uh, was a strong Christian woman who is the mother of St. Augustine, and part of his conversion was her intercessory prayer, constant prayer uh, for her son, right? And her pursuit of his, you know, conversion. And then, of course, he converts and becomes one of the greatest saints and church fathers and scholars that, that we've ever known. Yeah, some of the most beautiful prayers of the liturgy are in those days, because... So St. Monica, 27th, St. Augustine, the 28th, mm-hmm. the day before you hear how she converted her, converted him by her tears. Like that's a prayer in the uh, liturgy because he was away from the Lord for a long time. Of course, they were a pa- pagan family. Monica becomes Christian. Eventually, the dad becomes Christian, too, on his, before he died. Yeah. But for most of the time, it was Augustine was just a wayward pagan, and she cried him into the church after 30 years of prayers. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He, I mean, he was a scholar. I mean, from a young age, he, um, you know, they sent him off to study, s- super smart, one of the greatest 
debaters and orators. He'd go toe to toe with with some of the some of the best, and he, um, yeah, I mean, had a had a powerful conversion. He had a child out of wedlock, so you know, history kind of tells us him and his son, who was you know, you know, like a, I don't know, maybe a young teenager at the time, got baptized at the same time, mm-hmm. um, and then of course he became priest and bishop, Augustine, and yeah, I mean. We, obviously, that was like the 300s, right? Yeah. Yeah, son of Deodatus died uh, at a young age, and he became a Christian first and was baptized. And So, I mean, it really worked out for the family. They all became Christian eventually. And his dad at the end of his life. Right? But all because of Monica. Yeah, all because, yeah. Because she, she prayed, and her faith was stable. and mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. Well, actually, Augustine has one of the chapters in my book, Holy Grip. Right. Um I just his story speaks a lot to to men, and we all have conversion moments in our lives. And so you read the life of Augustine, just his story. It's powerful because it it helps you kind of understand that our own life of conversion is okay, and whatever our story is, and whatever how long it takes, and whatever the process of conversion is for each of us is different. But it's so cool to look through the lenses of his own conversion because it's like, yeah, I can relate in some way, shape, or form to me finally turning away from my old way of life into the new way of life that Christ has for us, right? Mm -hmm. Answering the question from the gospel, who do you say that I am? I mean, this is a conversion moment for the apostles, recognizing Jesus for who he is and the fact that Jesus has an answer for their life. So the... The, even the apostles, the, the closest friends of Jesus, uh, conversion experience w- was a process. There was an initial calling to leave their nets. and But w- we see the conversion happening along the way, you know, even all the way through uh, the crucifixion, the resurrection, the road to Emmaus, and, and, you know, Pentecost, right? Like the conversion is happening through this whole process. And the Lord is very patient with that. Patient and active, right? He doesn't sleep. It's interesting that, uh, was it last week was the gospel of walking on water? Yeah, it was was in the last few weeks. I can't remember. But this idea that Jesus wasn't in the boat, but he really was. Like, he never never disengages, but he does let us, um, he does let us in life experience the craziness of the world or the effects of our sin in such a way that it's like, where are you, God? Mm -hmm. That's part of the process. It's part of him teaching us because they would not have prayed <clears throat> in the boat and worshipped him as God if they wouldn't have gone through that terrifying experience. Right. And in a similar way, St. Peter wouldn't have uh, the faith that he has to answer correctly. Who who do you say that I am? You are. We have come to believe. We've come to know and believe that you are Christ, the Son of the living God. Well, h- how did they come to know this? But a lot of journey with the Lord, and at some points feeling very confused, very terrified, uncomfortable. Like, that journey is worth it to mm-hmm. get to faith. Yeah. And that's the, the the route of faith is this journey out of ourselves. Um, you mentioned St. Augustine. He was brilliant. He could totally look back on his life and, and, and say so many things. But what he decided to say in his confessions was it was really all about love. Late have I loved you. O beauty ever ancient, O beauty ever new. Mm-hmm. I sought love and creatures rather than the creator. Yeah. So for him, it was all about where he, what he was going to love. And in his conversion process, 
um, although there was a moment of change, it was a process. His mom prayed for him. He studied, but he fought, he fought the gospel a lot internally, yeah. right? And there's this one line that he says, give me chastity, just not yet. Mm-hmm. Like he knew that he needed to change, that his unchaste life was not fulfilling the desire in his heart. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, he's the same one that would say, you know, my heart is restless until it rests in you. Oh, Lord. Right. Like mm-hmm. there was this restlessness in his life and his heart, just like us, just like in the apostles. Um, and, you know, he would say, like, well, give me chastity. I know I need it. Just not yet. Like, I, like there was just this slow sort of like conversion that was happening in his life until he finally just surrendered. He finally just gave up and said, Lord, you can have my life. And we all end up at that point at some way, at some age, at some time where we have had enough, where we've learned that what the world offers, what, what you know, sin offers, what um, all these things offer does not compare to what God gives us in his love, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and we finally come to this place where we surrender and say, Lord, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Who who do you say that I am? You are the Messiah, right? And we just surrender that nothing else is the Messiah in our life but you. That's that's the beauty of conversion. Hmm. And the the sacraments of the church are designed to deepen that experience of resting in God. And it's amazing how so for example, for St. Peter who do you say that I am? And then he answers it. This, this has to happen every time we receive Holy Communion, every time we go to confession. It can become something we just kind of do as part of our spiritual life. But this is where we get into our heart becoming hard to Jesus. Mm-hmm. It's not actually, like, the way we experience the sacraments is one of the, if not the main barometer of, is my heart hardening or becoming more alive with Jesus? Because right. if I can go to Holy Communion knowing who he is that's in front of me, yeah. then I can respond the right way. My heart becomes alive and greater conversion can happen, like you said. Hmm. But if I go to Communion and I don't know who's in front of me or I'm not giving that due honor and reverence, well, actually, I'm not going to grow in conversion. That process you're talking about is going to not happen. My heart will become harder, right? When I go to confession and I don't or maybe I don't go to confession. By the way, if you're not going to confession, go to confession. It's a good thing to do. It's a good thing. Um, but if I'm going to confession, I'm not really entering into the sacrament. I'm not getting sorrow for my sins. I'm not thinking about how I can change my life and repent. I mean, how could I go through that process of conversion without confession? Jesus died on the cross for me to be able to go to confession to him and get my sins taken off my soul, right? So I can be renewed and healed and made new again, like baptized again. So when I approach this sacrament of conversion, am I actually entering into it? Um, am I recognizing who's there in the sacrament with me, Jesus Christ, or am I not? And so there's no, there's no secret formula here of conversion. There's a process that needs to happen week after week in Holy Communion, week after week or month after month with confession. But it's our faithfulness to these sacraments that make the process happen. Yeah, even if we don't. Faith is, is pursuing those things even when we don't feel it. Right, mm-hmm. like Lord, I I know that you're present in the sacrament. Let me just go, even though I don't know right now. You know, and that's faith. That's conversion. How many chicken cracklings do you have to eat before you have to go to confession? What's the answer? I think a lot. Okay, way more than I plan on eating. Really? Yeah. Okay. 
<laughs> well, let's take a break, and uh, we'll be right back. Paying too much for health care and supporting services you don't believe in? Our sponsor, Solidarity HealthShare, has prices that are 60% less than the nation's average cost of health care. Join the nation's leading health care sharing ministry built by people of faith for people of faith, saving money through ethical and affordable health care. Call now to see how much you can save at 844-387-8533. That's Solidarity HealthShare, 844-387-8533. Welcome back to the show. Great to be with you. Uh, we have um, <clears throat> been taking longer breaks in between segments <laughs> because our hot box segment at the beginning of the show, it's, um, if you didn't uh, hear about it, uh, it's uh, its quite the, the treat, right? Yep. Chicken crackling. Mm-mm. I mean, they're really like, we're not joking, probably like on the food chain of like good foods in Cajun land. Where would you put um, this? Well, again, if Jesus was in town, he wanted to visit and get some food experience. If I can give him a platter, I mean, it would have to be on the platter, like, top three. I would say boudin. I mean, you're not, no one's going to come to Louisiana and say, I have to eat the chicken crackling because they don't know about it. It's like the, the hidden surprise. Yeah. But that's that's more delicious than... Okay, but here's the thing. If you're not from Louisiana, you just walked into Billy's Boudin, and they have... They have a fil- a gas station, so you can get gas. You just think, oh, I'm pulling up to a gas station. And you walk in, and there's this little, you know, like, counter service restaurant. And you're looking at these menus, and you see boudin, boudin balls. You know, mm-hmm. these are really – but you're like, I have no idea. And then you see cracklins, and then you see chicken cracklins. And you're like, I, ha- I have literally no reference for even what that means or tastes like. Right. Right? Right. Now, you can't go wrong with anything on the menu because it's just all going to be, like, explosion inside your mouth with like your taste buds mm-hmm. but the chicken crackling is one of the top i see a lot of resonance with the spiritual life here yeah because there's a lot of good things to do spiritually there's a lot of good prayer practices there's a lot of good um but there's that one thing that the lord actually wants you to do you know what i mean there's like that one he calls it the one thing necessary to saint martha she chose the better part Chicken crackling is a lot like that. <laughs> she chose the better part. Yeah. Okay. Like if she chose the chicken crackling, mm-hmm. she chose the better part. Yeah. Well, it, it won't be taken from her. Yeah. It, it's just you have to like. I would just say like if if you live anywhere outside of this area, of the country, you just always have to dip down and get on I ten, and pass through Lafayette, and then just eat for a few days. Mm-hmm. And then you would just know what we're talking about. And then you just keep going wherever you want to go. It's true. You know, if you visit uh, Rome, you obviously got to see the churches. Got to go to St. Peter's Basilica. Got to go to, you know, those kinds of things. I think we have a food pilgrimage. We're a food pilgrimage site, you know. And I mean, you have a religious experience when you eat our food. Gotcha. Especially when you're eating with good Catholics, you know, that like can show you the wonders of this food. Hmm. We also have beautiful churches to visit, but my point is, our area is a food pilgrimage, and yes, I think every every American should should experience that at least once. Yeah, 
you know? Yeah. Who do you say the chicken crackling is? <laughs> That's what I want to know. Yeah. Now, you love to cook. Mm-hmm. And I want to uh, want to ask you this question here, not to get too deep into the cooking, but, I mean, you've seen it true that, like, when you cook good food for your family or your friends, there's a certain um, ease to friendship and fellowship and, like, the kingdom, let's say. Mm-hmm. It's just a lot harder when you're just kind of in a more sterile environment. Like, maybe you're in a... Um, a small group, let's say, with people, or maybe a journey with some people. It's like, hey, let's have you all over to eat together. And then having good food together, it creates a certain um, ease and naturalness to friendship that's just not there. And I think it's one of the reasons why in this area, we are all about family and friends still, is yeah. because we've been all about food. Yes. I think there's a correlation there. There is a correlation. And, you know, anytime you have authentic community, it really revolves around the table. Right, the mm-hmm. kitchen, the kitchen table, the dining room table, eating together, which is, you know, you go back to the early Christian life, even the Jew, the Jews, like around, you know, the table, right? Um, the Seder meal, the the beauty, and and what is beautiful about the the history of say the Seder meal or the Jewish feast or the wedding you feast at Cana, and is that. They were in no rush. They enjoyed the time around the table, the interaction, the community, the eating, the joy, the laughter, the crying, the, all the things, the stories, the communication. Everything is learned and grown around the table, you know, which is so beautiful that our whole faith is built around the table, mm-hmm. right? The feast of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. Like we, we go and like, look, we don't sit and observe Mass, we participate in Mass. Like, we are invited around the table of the Eucharist, right? Mm-hmm. And so so much of that has a spiritual implication on our own lives at home. You know, when, you know, parents or married couples ask us, like, what what, like, what did you guys do, your kids or whatever? Like, yeah, like, how did you? And, and we, Grunch and I, yeah, like, we look at you like, we have no idea what we did. But I can tell you <laughs> the one thing that we did did is we always ate together around the table and without any agenda, Mm -hmm. just the agenda being life, life being the backdrop, the season of life that they were in, the conversations, the, the prayer, the, the, all of it just around the table. And, you know, our older kids will look back and be like, that was some of the best, greatest times and worst times of our lives that, that it was like the central thing that we did was just was around the table. Right. Because Mm -hmm. all, so much happens there. And so it it is this is sort of a, a lost art, you know, in families. They're so busy that they don't even eat together, you know? Or if you go out to dinner, you see families and they're all on their phone. Mm-hmm. Like what like you're just spending money to not even hang out. Like if I'm going out to eat with my family <laughs> and spending money, there's no phones at the table. Mm-hmm. Like we're spending money so we can actually just have fun and interact and talk, right? Like, no, leave your phone. Like, and so like the table, whether it be your family or, or at, at, in your faith is sacred. I believe it is. It, it, it's sacred at home too. This, mm-hmm. this, this gathering around. And it's one of the arts I think that is beautiful about the faith community here in South Louisiana and it, it is just a strong faith community. But the tie-in with our strong faith is that the culturally, we still gather around the table a lot. Yeah. Well, even around the kitchen. Because I think 
I mean, everything you just said was so spot on. That could be another book. I keep I'm making you a list of books you need to write. Yeah, my mom's keeping track, by the way, because she says you have book titles for me all the time Yeah, in the show. And she's writing them down? Thanks, Mom. Yeah, she's... Because sh- I'm not writing them down, but it's I'm glad she is. It, it would be best if she just kind of started the rough draft of the writing, which she could do. You know, she's a yeah. good, good writer. Okay. That, and then, and then kind of, you know, get me started, and then boom. What, Perfect. Yeah. So the, rethink the table. Um, and I don't. Last week you had another one. I can't remember what it was, but well, it came from the six pack because you were just on point. So I was like, okay, write a book about that. <laughs> but anyway, um, <laughs> but you said it can't be rushed and it can't have an agenda. That's so essential. And I think one of the reasons we tend to succeed in South Louisiana at this is because our cooking can't be rushed. That's where the the slowdown starts. Yes. We start slowing down with the cooking. Because that's why it tastes so good. So by the time we get to the table, we've already given up on like any other time crunch, any other agenda. Like we the, the weight of the world kind of melted off our shoulders while we were cooking. Yeah. So that when we sit down to eat, we're all in the right disposition. Yeah, a lot of people have this misconception of French Cajun food is that it's hot. No, it's seasoned. Mm-hmm. It's got all these flavors in it. And those flavors come from it blending and meshing together by cooking it for a while, right? It's You just don't, like, whip it up in mm-hmm. a minute, you right. know? So, so part of the whole culture is that the cooking takes time, and you interact while you cook. You know, you hang out mm-hmm. and... Well, and this is where God is found, because like you mentioned, the table being sacred, it's true. I mean, think about how one of the only prayers most people still say is grace before meals. Right. And where does that tradition come from? It comes from this reality that God gives us food, providence, right? Like God has provided the food. Manna. Manna. Jesus, who's the bread of life. But... The, the food we grow from the earth, the vegetables and fruits we eat, the animals that... Chicken crackling. The chicken crackling. God gave us these things. He did. And so it's it's a form of worship <clears throat> to receive them from God and enjoy them the way he intended us to enjoy them. He doesn't just give it food to us so that our bodies survive. That's not why. We read in, in the uh, Old Testament, the book of Psalms, that he gives wine to cheer men's hearts. Right? So, like, God's purpose for us is always the best is always the most noble. It's always to bring us the fullness of life. And he gives us food as to enjoy it primarily with each other, Mm -hmm. right? To enjoy his providence, yes, to enjoy what he's given us. And so, um, it is not a little thing in life. You mentioned marriage prep. Like when we, when we went to our couples, we always give this advice because we don't know what we did either. But I say, look, when you, when you're planning your life together, you just start at the table and then move outwards. Mm -hmm. Like when are you going to eat? What are you going to eat? How are you going to eat it? And then let that kind of take over your That's life. That's a great point. Little by little. Because it's it, it provides that no-rush life that yep. you're talking about. Yeah, like w- that was sort of, you know, when we didn't really know. We just knew it was important. We just, here, here's a non-negotiable. that We're going to eat together. We're going to eat dinner together. And, yeah, as our kids, when they were smaller, was, you know, it was hard for everybody to keep still around the table. But we had consistent time because everybody was home, right? Mm-hmm. As they got older schedules got you know and kids had practices or driving we would always look at our week and say what night is everyone home or nights these are non-negotiable you're not doing anything these nights we're having dinner you know Mm -hmm. um or lunch or breakfast and you know yada yada like here you know i remember you saying one time like a season you're like you're like we all had breakfast together you know Mm -hmm. in your house like there was this meal this gathering 
And you can't even underestimate. You don't even have to have. You don't have to have an agenda for that. It's just right. you can't life. have an agenda. You can't. Yeah. You can't have an agenda. You just know you pray for the meal, and you just let the conversation go and let life happen. And we had some of the greatest laughters and cries and fights all around the table, mm-hmm. questions and interactions, and you know it's just like. And what's beautiful now is like as our kids have gotten older and they come home, is we just naturally gather around the table again and it it is beautiful yeah well and that way it becomes a lot like mass and you mentioned those two tables the altar and the family table because mass can't have an agenda either other than the worship of god yeah and the sanctification of the people around us like we're here to love god and neighbor and when there's any other agenda it 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 abuses the mass right Right. like it makes it something it's not yeah same thing with a family table it can't have an agenda of you can't and, and look, I've done this, too, where you think through there's only so much time in the day. Look, while we eat, we're going to accomplish this or that. We're going to – like, no, you're just killing what what it is. Like, yeah. just, just eat. Let yeah. it happen. Let your kids say what they want to say. And I tell people this all the time, too, when, in regards to their faith, mass, and maybe they're away from the church. And maybe you're listening to this and you haven't been to mass in a while or you've been away from the church. There is nothing more natural than walking into mass. And just being at the table. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, it would be like me just inviting you to my house. And you've never been to my house. And you just were like, well, this feels just fine. I'll just sit at the table and eat with everybody. Mm-hmm. You know? I may mm-hmm. not know people. I may feel a little awkward or not know what to say at first. But I know how to sit and eat. Right? And just enjoy the table. And the thing is, like, no matter how far away you've been from the church, and no matter where you live around the world, you can walk into any Catholic church and there's the table. Right. And you could, you're accepted around the table and you can go and Jesus is there. And yes, you may feel a little uncomfortable because you haven't been in a while. You may not know what to say because you haven't been in a while. And you may be like, do I belong here? But, but all those things are just normal thoughts. But the reality is, is that the feast is there. You're invited to, and nothing's changed. Right. And it's, mm-hmm. it's beautiful. I just think as I've traveled all over, I can always find a church that I can go in, you know, and, and it's just home. You know, right. it feels like home. It's like walking into the kitchen. Yeah. Man, that's beautiful. And I actually had that experience. Um, someone close to me a while back, we were at my grandmother's funeral. This must have been 10 years ago. But he hadn't been in a Catholic church in, like, forever. And that particular church, which was in our hometown, and when he came in, he said, man, it looks like nothing's changed. Like, it's like the exact same yep. as it was a decade ago. And that's exactly the point, right? That's exactly the point. Okay, let's do a quick six-pack of questions. Question. A quick pack. Quick pack. All right, so question number one, um, how, do I, how do I even return the favor you've bestowed on me with these chicklin crackling? Um, like, do you... What do I do? Well, I don't know. Well, I think part of it is that you just enjoy, uh, you just enjoy it, you know, which you have. Ab- I have abundant, you seen me abundantly, um, and yeah, you know, like you share the wealth of what the chicken crackling has done in your life, you know. So I need to share it with others. Um, okay, that will make you happy. That'll return the favor. Well, yeah, or you can just, you know. Um, buy me some one day. Okay. Because oh, that's right. I didn't even think so about good. that. Yeah. I can just get you the same thing. 
You can just get me this. That's what St. John of the Cross said. Love is repaid by love alone. Just replace love with chicken crackling. Is that how it works? Yeah, chicken crackling is replaced by chicken crackling alone. Chicken crackling. Chicken crackling. Chicken crackling. All right, question number two. Um, so in the Have You Seen, we brought up the uh, trend of cracking eggs on your kid's head without them knowing, and they start crying and getting upset. Um, so my question to you, and you mentioned that you wouldn't film something like that, but you also mentioned fun pranks on your kids. Do you have a particular prank that you did on your kids that kind of stands out as something funny? A particular prank? Something did you did to your kid like that? Um, Were y'all crazy on April Fool's Day or something? Oh, yeah. We, I mean, we we played pranks in our house and jokes. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'd scare each other a lot. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> things like that. Yeah. Like hiding in the shadows and you yeah. jump out. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It'd be hard to hide you, though, huh? You're tall. Yeah, but, like, just behind a corner, Okay. you know. And I hate being scared, so, like, yeah. yeah. But if I'm on the other end of it, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Nice. Yeah. All right, question number three. We mentioned the gospel, Jesus saying, who do you say that I am? And um, how, do you, how do you really know what you don't know? Here's my question. Like, I know, I've seen this in my own journey with the Lord, is that who do you say that I am? The closer I get to him, the more I realize, like, I really don't know. Like, there's a lot more to him than I thought. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember when I was younger in particular, kind of thinking I kind of had it all figured out. But you don't know what you don't know. So how do you how do you get to the place with Jesus where, like, you're actually able to go on that journey of conversion, that process you mentioned, and not just assume you've heard it all, you've known it all, like this is, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I what? mean, I'm still in a conversion, Yeah, I believe. You know, these moments, and I've talked about this when I was writing the book, Holy Grit, and I was really um, being immersed in the lives of the saints, that I, w- I felt like I was having a deeper or different or newer conversion in my life. You know, mm-hmm. they, I was being taught some things that were bringing me closer to God. And so that's conversion is just this continual turning towards the Lord, you know, and I was mentioning the other day, I was, you know, leading the staff uh, retreat and just having a great time with this, this, this group, you know, that is really sold out for doing the Lord's work. And I was saying, you know, you know, in the midst of like so much arguing and theology and liturgical stuff. And I was like, I have just gone back to reading about theology through the lives of the saints like if you want to know the Christian life and really good theology, read about the lives of the saints because it's lived theology, and you just mm. and that was part of my conversion, you know. Mm. That's awesome, man. Yeah. I like it. All right, question number four. Uh, we talked about Saint John the Baptist and his three possible, well, four possible heads out there, right? Yeah, apparently. Apparently. Um, so, I know you've been to Europe, right? At mm-hmm. least once, maybe more. Or once? Once. Once, okay. Yeah. And you saw some stuff. Yeah. Can you share the most memorable saint relic or shrine or body or something? Like, what stands out to you as as memorable and impactful that you visited? Well, I saw some incorruptible saints, which is weird. But I think probably the coolest was the Shroud of Turin. You the, saw it? The original one, yeah. Wow. Yeah. They opened up the original one when we were there. It wasn't the replica. Yeah. That was really, really fascinating. What's that even like? I mean, like, it is, seeing yeah. it with your own eyes. Yeah. It's pretty, yeah. 
Mm-hmm. It's wild. Yep. All right, question number five. Uh, so we mentioned the family table and that sacred space. You know, many of our listeners are either uh, older, like their kids are out of the house, and so that part of their journey is over, or some of them aren't married. You know, we have several listeners that mm-hmm. just aren't married. And so mealtime can actually be kind of tough. Like, how do you, like, it's not the same experience that we just described. It's a different experience. Um, let's talk to the single folks for a sec. Mm-hmm. So those folks that aren't married, a lot of their meals are alone, right? Um, what would you say to them? And, and they're like, they have that same need you and I do to, to get around a table. Yeah. But what would you say? Well, I would say one, if you're single, like find some families that you, that will open up their homes to you, which they will and go have dinner with their families, even their kids, just sit at the table, be in the chaos of their life. And, you know, we had a lot of young adults come to our house when <clears throat> at one point when we had a younger family and they, they always tell us as they're older now, they're like, that was some of the best moments of our lives. We we're like, really? It was chaos. They like, we just loved being immersed into like, you know, that with y'all, you know, hmm. so do that. And, and then maybe be intentional with other young adults about, Hey, come over to my house for dinner. We're going to cook and hang out or let's do a dinner night or something like that. You know? Mm-hmm. So just being intentional about gathering around the table. It's awesome. All right. Question number six. Um, so I'm often surprised when I hear that neither person in a couple or like the husband or the wife like to cook. Um, my question is, should, should everyone learn how to cook even if they don't like to do it? Like, cause how do you get that meal around the table? I mean, I guess you, you just buy the food and you supply it, which is what they do. But does everyone need to learn how to cook? Like, is there something human? And I mean, I think, I mean, I look, there's, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer to that. I think it's more about like setting the table to be around it, mm-hmm. whether you order out or you're not a good cook. It doesn't really matter. We've had some really bad meals and great conversations, <laughs> right? You know what right, I'm saying? Right. And so <clears throat> it's really sort of not about that uh, all the way. You know, maybe mm-hmm. there's one person in the family loves to cook and the other doesn't. It's fine. Like whatever works for you. I think the, the point is like being together around the table and just allowing that to just marinate <laughs> ah, yay, ah. around just everything. And so, you know order a big old bowl of chicken cracklings and you know pop open some some cold ones and sit around the table and just enjoy life together mm-hmm. you know you would do that yeah i would especially after the experience i mean today. you said if you had to get married again or if you did go back to your wedding you just say the reception would be chicken cracklings and beer did i say that over the break you did okay well yeah everybody needs to hear that that is literally what i said i was like man if i could just go back in time to my wedding reception it should be a big old pile of this as chicken cracklings were beer. like crumbling in your beard <laughs> yeah and no one would complain about it no one would complain they would about say it. best wedding reception ever ever no doubt so mm-hmm. anyway uh great show thanks for the hot box you know from me Thank you for the hot box yeah exactly and for everyone listening today and we'll be back next week god bless